Hey, mother. Welcome to the party, pal. Welcome to another edition of Yippie Kaye Mother Podcast. I'm Ralph Quattrucci. I'm Sean Paul Murphy. I'm Debbie Murphy. I'm John Quattrucci. I'm Drew Gould. I'm Uncle Al. And, and I'm uh, special guest, Paul. And there's Paul. That's Hi, a Paul. special guest. Welcome, Paul. Paul. Special guest. I was going to say Sean, but he's our special guest. He's all of our special guests. Okay. Well, and let he's me here to help. He's here to help Sean defend his movie tonight, <laughs> uh, which we won't talk about yet. And he's got his uh, work cut out for him. He does. Uh, but before we start, we're going to do what did you watch this week? And let's start with John Quattrucci. Well, you know, I made a mistake when I picked my movie last week, even though it was a great movie, Galaxy Quest. Because of Veterans Day, I should have picked something military. So over the weekend, I watched Sergeant York, which is, uh, I love that movie. One of my favorite movies, Gary Cooper, directed by Howard Hawks. Just a great patriotic movie. Uh, really like it a lot. Recommend it highly. Uh, but that's what I watched. Good. Uh, Uncle Al, new voice. Well, uh, sir, I watched The Devil's Honey, which we will <clears throat> talk about later uh, on a different episode. Are you promoting your other podcast? That's right. Uh, okay. And then uh, I did not watch much as I, I got a PS5, so I was playing PS5. Oh, oh it didn't blow up on you? It did not. Oh, because good. Because I know good. how to handle my equipment. What Excellent. about the game? No. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bummed. I wish I had I to do the symbols, whatever. Uh, uh, Debbie and uh, Sean. Now, just so Paul knows, it's it's one choice per square. So these guys well, have to pick one. Well, you know, except for Drew, we're flexible with that. Drew rules. <laughs> Do what you want, Paul. You be you. Slogger rules. We watched the um, Ravens Patriots game. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That's too bad for what you. What a shocking game! I thought they're going to get smoked. Yeah. <laughs> Is that oh, a how about that monsoon? The only thing really enjoyable about that game was the weather. I have not seen such horrible rain and mist at the end of that game. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, don't you feel like a switch was flipped when they had a shot to win the game? All yeah. of a sudden, you couldn't see anything? It was crazy. Yeah. That this weather system was about to arrive. It was about to arrive. Yeah, yeah. And when it did, you could tell. Al, Al Michael kept throwing the radar up. He kept talking about the storm flowing in. Yeah. All right, Paul. Well, let's let's go to Paul. Paul, what do you got this week? Sorry, Drew. Uh, we'll this get back week, to you. I, this week, I, I watched bits and pieces of different things, but the one movie that I watched from beginning to end was the new Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, I finally got it from Redbox with a with a promotional coupon. It cost me sixty cents, but I gladly right. would have paid. You nice. know, $25 because I enjoyed it. It got off to a little bit of a sluggish start for me, but then it kicked in and it gave me all the feel good uh, stuff that I was looking for and the nostalgia, the humor. And, and I really enjoyed everything it. you want from a Bill and Ted movie. Exactly. How are the, um, how are the, the actresses that play the daughters? Cause I really like both of those actresses. Oh, they're terrific. They're, every, everybody in the film is great. Everybody gets a moment to oh, shine. Good. Yeah, so some of the woman, characters that they bring back from the older movies get it their get their scenes too, you know. And the woman right. playing Ted's daughter pulled a great Ted off. That's that's absolutely yeah, she was good. And the weaving that's girl funny. is great too. She's always good. I, I agree with you. She's fantastic in all her stuff. All right, Drew, what do you got? Take it take well, your time, Drew, as much as you want. Thank you. I, it's funny. <laughs> I there's two series that I'll talk about later. 
but I haven't, I haven't finished them yet. So I'm going to finish them. One of them is a teacher the Kate Mara is a high school student having sex with her student. That's great so far. And uh, the queen's gambit, which everybody is watching on Netflix is fantastic. I, I want to finish it before we talk about it, if that's okay, but uh, I have two episodes left and it's just wonderful. So I did something that um, I did not expect to do anytime soon, which is I went to a concert on Sunday my favorite band, the Punch Brothers, they did a concert on a website called Mandolin, and they were in Blackbird Studios in Nashville, and they did a live concert, and it was fantastic, and it was really funny because they kept talking in between songs about how weird it was, and they played a, they have a piece by Debussy that has a significant space between the last three notes, and they were like, that's the first time nobody clapped before the last note of the song, and, and they're, just, they're just wonderful, and that was really fun. And then the other thing that I watched was His House, that's that movie on Netflix. Uh, it's It kind of reminded me of The Babadook because it's about trauma and grief, uh, but in, sort of through the filter of a horror film because it's about two Sudanese refugees and they come to London and they get put in a house by, actually by Matt Smith, who's one of the Doctor Who actors. So that was a nice surprise. And uh, there's something in the house with them. And how it unfolds and how you learn about their story and what you think you know about them and stuff is great. And the, um, the lead uh, actress, um, I think her name is... Wunmi Masaku, I think that's her name. She's from Lovecraft Country, and she's wonderful. So it's it's definitely, it's it's a horror movie and a thinker. So I, I would recommend that one, if, especially if you like The Babadook. If you're like my wife and you think The Babadook is, is not your thing, she didn't care for it either, but His House. I enjoy The Babadook. I'm going to look forward to seeing His House. Right. Um, I have nothing uh, because I worked on my show that I've been working on for five months now, three months. Uh, we took a... Two, we took a one-hour show and opened it up to two hours, so I've had no time to watch anything else. So we'll review that when it comes out. It's uh, 10 animals that might kill you. So someday we'll show that. Um, so, Sean. And you've been building your empire. Oh, the, uh, the yeah. uh, In the Red Productions In the Red, yeah. Okay. I mean, this is getting So we've huge. got Yippie Kaye Mother Podcast. Yeah. Oh, we've yeah. got Queuing Up with the Q Brothers, and now yep. we're going to add, uh, what are we calling it, Movie? Movie Strange. Movie Strange. Movie Strange. Movie Strange. A little cult. Little cult. I'm surprised no one took that name already. It's a good name. Well, that's why. So Cinema Strange was taken. Movie Blender was taken. So <laughs> oh, I like that. Movie taken. Blender. That's all part of the uh, In the Red Productions. Uh, so it's going to be great. Ralph and Ted Turner, this stuff. Now, uh, Paul, we say too. Sean brought the movie to the table because this podcast started on a pool table with a bunch of guys and ladies. So each one of us brings a movie to the to the table. And we all watch that movie, and then we discuss the movie. Like the okay. accused in the pool table. <laughs> okay. So always, but, uh, always brings it back. Sean, what, what movie did you bring to the oh, table? Paul. Oh, please do. Yes, I'm sorry. Go okay, ahead. Okay, this is Paul Castiglia, unless you were speaking in La Lingua Mia Familia, in which it would be Paul Castiglia. And uh, Paul is a old friend. He's a film historian. He's a film producer. He's a writer of comic comic books and animation. He's done Archie Comics and Thomas the Train. And he's the author of the upcoming book, Scared Silly, about classic horror co- horror comedies. So um, he he's a multi-hyphenate joining us from the West Coast. Wait, and back why- up a step. Back up a step. Name a couple horror comedies, just so we know what that means. Abin Costello oh, yeah. Frankenstein. Right. So the book, yeah. So the, the period I'm covering is the real classic period. So you're talking Laurel and Hardy, Abbott Costello, Three Stooges, Little Rascals, Bowery Boys, 
Bob Hope. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm going from the silent era through the mid '60s. Okay. So I'm not I'm not going past that. I mean, I, I'm very fond of things that happened in the '80s, which I think Phantasm helped usher in. But but I'm going, you know, I'm going real. I'm stopping at Don Knotts, the ghost of Mr. Chicken. In the oh book. my god! All right. <laughs> yes. Excellent. All right. Well, you're here to help Sean defend this film. Sean, what is your film? My film is Phantasm. It's a uh, film from 1979, a classic. You know, it's about a 13-year-old boy named Michael whose parents died two years earlier. And he's worrying about his guardian, his uh, 22-year-old brother, Jody, is going to abandon him and go on the road as a musician. His fears are compounded by suspicion that something nefarious is going on at the local funeral home cemetery where his parents are buried. And um, why don't we um, why don't we watch the trailer if we could? Phantasm, the delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. For nearly four decades, it has been contained, but evil always has a way of breaking free. Tommy's gone. It's hard to believe. It was a good idea not to let your little brother come to the funeral. Yeah, hey, I don't like this place. Something weird is going on up there. The funeral is about to begin, sir. What's wrong with you? There's something up there. I saw it. You got some kind of an overactive imagination or something? I know you're not going to believe this, but these things were here. Oh, give me a break. Okay, I believe you. What we got to do is lay that sucker out flat and drive a stake right through his goddamn heart. You're going to run that tall bastard straight down to hell. You play a good game, boy. But the game is finished. Now you die. Phantasm. Don't fear. Okay, and I brought Paul because... <coughs> You know, I've been accused periodically of bringing films to this because I wanted to see people's reaction to them and that they may not always like them. And this is a film I feel may fall into that category a bit. And I know Paul is a is a big fan of the film, so I brought him here to um, to help me out on this. And first, first, let me let me defend. Uh, yeah. the film. Well, no, just. Try to describe the film for everybody. Who yeah, give us the story. Good luck I'm with glad, it. I'm glad they threw the definition on this. I, I don't know if this definition was on the original trailer. It wasn't. Because I never knew what Phantasm meant. Now I got it because of this HD trailer that well, Red I actually, Robot put up. I actually watched some of the trailers after I finished it for two and three, and they both, and they, as far as I know, they haven't been released remastered, and they both had, they began with the same definition. The so definition? That may be from, from back in the day, as the kids say. Now, the definition is kind of necessary for a um, understanding of the film. And but before <laughs> before I get it get into that, um, you know, 
because that's part of that's part of what I find so interesting about the film is that it is not if you look at it, I call it a right brain, left brain type of attitude towards this film, which I saw originally when it came out. It was, you know, it, it hit me at the, the perfect time. But um, and a right brain, you know, looking at it as a storyteller, a writer, a filmmaker, the film has some flaws. You know, it definitely does not work as a completely linear film, you know, in a traditional sense. You know, the sequel, for example, is much is much more traditional film. But this film um, doesn't necessarily make narrative sense. You really have to take it at its own value. And that's why the definition is important, is that essentially um, it's a, it's it's part of it's a delusion. You know, it's a nightmare. Uh, Costarelli in one of the interviews said that he's using phantasm and it word the same way that Edgar Allan Poe would use it in his writings as a nightmare. And because it's a nightmare, and that's finally, it's really the, over the last week that I finally accepted the film on its own level. I thought the, I, what I really like about this film is that it's perhaps the best American film, in my opinion, about the adolescent fear of death and the things of death, the fear that those things inspire, and, and the accompanying sense of abandonment that death brings. And, you know, I would, I, I think there are some brilliant moments in the film as a filmmaking piece, but because of the narrative, the narrative way it, it unfolds, um, it does, it isn't clear. And I often thought that the genius of the film was unconscious, that Costarelli, you know, lucked into hitting the emotion right, but, you know, was wonky on the story, you know, because I kind of refused to accept the ending of the movie. You know, and this is something where I have spoilers in. And I even told Debbie the ending before there, and it still really made her mad when it happened. You know, so, um, and it's, you know, because, you know, I've tried to show Debbie this film many times, and, you know, I, I really forced her to, I compelled her to watch it, um, watch it the last week, and and she um, really had trouble with it. And then she was getting into it the last time, and then it made her really angry at the end. But then at literally 5 a.m. the next morning, she woke me up because she's like, Sean, I finally get this movie. So she woke me up at 5 a.m. to tell me that she finally got it. But, you know, I guess we're telling spoilers. So the reality is you have a, a kind of a strange narrative where this kid is following around his brother. He sees a weird mortician, the tall man, and... um He's nervous about this, but he's predominantly nervous about his brother, that his brother is going to leave him. Their parents are dead, and um, he's worried that his brother is, is going to leave him and go back on the road. And so it's this death and, and abandonment. But, you know, people who are dead are back. And Well, he know, does see the tall man pick up a heavy casket. Yeah. Basically by himself that six pole there is just put in a car, right? Or put yeah. next to the car. So he's in the binoculars. He does see that. Yeah. So we I mean, established that something is funky. But the, it, it, is anything that happens in the movie real at all is the question. You know, I've heard a number of people, I, I pretty much read every critical review of it. A couple of people actually compared this movie to David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, oh, which is, oh, you know, that's the film that 
I was reading a couple critics list that says so far it's the best film of the 21st century is um, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. And I'm like, I got to watch that again. And I did. And I'm like, eh, I still don't get it. You know, I like this one better than uh, Mulholland Drive. <laughs> but um, in the film's defense, I think it's shot really well. I never noticed <laughs> how well it was shot until I got the Blu-ray. But I really, there's, I, there's a lot of things I really like about this. I really like the um, editing. I'm curious what you think about it, Ralph. But I like how they hold on to shots. And I really like the reveal when they go from the woman to the, to the tall man. Because it starts on a um, it starts on a kind of a close up <clears throat> with the with soft edges, and then it pushes in. I mean, it cuts in. It doesn't push in, but it doesn't do a big push in. It's like a it's like a ten to twelve percent push in, which also has like um, soft edges, and then a slightly more push in to the shot of the um, to the tall man. And I, little touches like that, I think, are really effective. And they repeat that later in the movie when they kill Reggie if he's actually dead if he was killed <laughs> can, I, can, can i interject something here yeah uh, and this is this will this will also increase viewership i want everyone who's watching this to watch the podcast and enjoy our conversation and then i want you to watch it again and just watch john just watch john because i've been doing that the whole time it's fantastic through the trailer through, I, I love it i love it i'm not gonna be shocked at what he shares with us at this point but i love it i'm so, sorry i need to be more you don't I, you don't need to apologize because the, i'm this, a bad poker player wait a minute wait a minute yeah this is no. a movie that has strong reactions and i think that that's whether you like it or not. I, 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 yes i'm amazed at the the good editing because they held on shots long i i i think those were all accidents or well you see well funny thing is what i thought was is that um you know, as I've watched this movie since like 1980, um, I really did think that it, this was all accidental. But there's just too many good accidents in it. But I really like the, I really like the his shot selection and how long he holds on to these shots because it's atypical of a horror movie of this period. And I want to tell you something. There are going to be people here. I'm just going to go out on a limb that aren't going to like this, but. Although Debbie and I didn't watch anything specifically over the last week, what I did was I went on Tubi, and I was watching a ton of films from 79 and 80, horror movies that I thought were similarly themed, you know, things of death and all, like Mortuary and um, Mausoleum. And my God, those films are all crap. I mean, I saw them all, and I enjoyed them back then, but it's like none of them, in my opinion, came close to holding up. They all had the obligatory like nude shot right near the beginning, much like this film did. You yeah. know, it was the it was the late seventies, early eighties. You had to start with that. Hey, hey Sean, uh, wasn't Coscarelli like eighteen when he made this movie? He was really he young. Was, he was very. He was much older than that. He was like yeah, he wasn't. No, he wasn't eighteen. He was twenty three. He was seventeen he was when he made his first movie. But he, this was already his third. This was already his third feature. I and mean, the first so young were, to be making like, like a a feature film at twenty three. Well, Citizen Kane was made at 25, and I compare this kind of... Okay, not everyone's Orson Welles, dude. Come on. And not only that, Orson Welles had had that crew behind him, you know, and he had um, Herman Mankiewicz behind him as well. No, you know, I poo-pooed the editing in this shot, but there are are shots in here that I was genuinely impressed with. There's car shots that he does when when the car's uh, going away from the camera towards the the mansion or whatever, the mausoleum that they had... He loves shooting cars, you could tell, because there's always a logo of the Hemi engine or something, yeah. wheels. 
So there was some, I agree. And he's a friend of Sam Raimi, right? Sam Raimi was down there on the set a lot. I, I heard or something. Maybe this one of the sequel. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a very, I had an evil dead. I mean, okay. I watched all three of them last night after watching this one. I went and saw, then I watched two and then three. Don't know why I did that. So I may be mixing all my stuff together. I remember seeing this at the drive-in movie theater, probably in 79. And all I remember is the orb was the most, that's all I remember is about the movie then was the orb. So I'm watching this now for the first time since 1979. And that orb is hardly in there. It's in there for two shots and one, one take out of a guy. And <laughs> now I was impressed with the shots of the orb. When you see in the reflection of the tall man in the orb, I thought you're right. Some of the shot choices were very artistic. The things they were doing with whatever budget they had. And I guess the orb was actually shot in camera. They would have a pitcher throw it yeah. to get it to, to fly down the thing. But I, but I ended, I, I watched the whole movie and I'm like, okay, this whole movie was a dream. Right? Or was Ultimately. It? Or, well, they end all their sequel, they all end the same way. It's like, was it? Did they all? Reggie dies five, 15 times, spoiler alert, and all this stuff, and he keeps coming back. So it's always a dream. And he did something, ha- like he, at the end of one, where he's playing the guitar by the fireplace and the kid goes upstairs and the kid gets taken through the mirror. Well, they start too with that same scene. And then Reggie says, I don't even know if that happened. Did that really happen? I'm not sure that happened after he blows up the whole, <laughs> Paul, help me with this. Are you an expert yeah. on these movies? I don't understand. Well, okay. I don't understand well, I mean, why it's so popular. Uh, look, I mean, you're talking about, you're getting into the sequels. And okay, let's I've watched I've watched the sequels. I liked revisiting the characters, um, but I I feel like the 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 lightning in the bottle whether how much of it is accidental and how much of it was intended that's in the first movie gets a little undone in the sequels because in the first movie things that are clearly meant to be surreal and leave you guessing as to whether they're really happening or part of the dream, they get sort of pseudo explanations in the sequels and those pseudo explanations don't, don't always hold up. Don't add up. And they, they kind of just make it more muddled. And so, so I think the key, I mean, you know, if you, if you want my opinion of, of just the first film, uh, it's because, all right. So I'm 54 years old. So when Star Wars came out in 1977, I was 11. So I had the Target logo on my forehead. I was the kid they made Star Wars for. Then two years later in 1979, I'm 13. It was the age of Michael in Phantasm. Now I didn't see the film because under 17, not admitted, but a friend of mine somehow taped it off a cable like two years after it came out and and we watched it, you know, so I was like 14 or 15 when I first saw it. So I still felt like I was like in in Michael's headspace, right? The kid. Uh, and back then, uh, independent films, for some reason, seemed to get on the cable quicker, you know, and, and even like by 1984, I remember watching it on the local independent TV station. That's how quick this thing went from the theater to, you know, it wasn't like an MGM or, you know, a Universal or something like that. It was 
it was quickly moved through the pipeline. Yeah, so, AEI, right? AEI. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, to me, it's like I feel like I knew that kid. I knew that kid because of when I first saw the movie. I was frightened to death of the tall man. The tall man gave me nightmares for years after I saw that movie. And it actually helped me. The movie helped me deal with both dealing with horror movies in general, modern day horror movies, uh, and also dealing with the horrors of life. And mm -hmm. I know Coscarelli has said that part of the reason he made the movie was to sort of explore this kind of Americanized version of how we deal with death. It's, it's kind of this pageantry, you know, it's this, it's this production number. It's, you know, you, you, you get the body kind of, you know, embalmed and cleaned up and put on view for everybody to see. And there's like a ceremony and it's this whole thing. And for kids, that's weird. You know, we all grew up, you know, lose, losing aunts and uncles and things like that. Uh, my mom had 14 brothers and sisters, so I grew up with it a lot, you know. So, so yeah, so it, it's kind of, it connects on that level. And what I like about it is that there's, there's a lot of shots in the movie that are from Michael's point of view. And so in those shots, it, it almost becomes hyper-focused what he's seeing. And even if it's he's actually seeing it or it's an illusion or what, it's his point of view. So when he sees the tall man, you know, come up towards the Reggie's ice cream van and he's affected by the cold, yeah, it's one of those shots, like like Sean said, like he holds on some stuff. And he's holding because he's like wanting you to think, holy crap, this kid's seeing stuff that scared him out of his mind. Same thing when he lifts off the, up the coffin. Same thing when he's in the, the curio shop and he sees the little photograph and it's the Victorian era picture of the tall man. And he actually turns his head and looks at Michael. It's like this whole thing. And so like, it's very impactful, I thought, uh, you know, the, the way he shot that and the way he wanted to express that. And then as Sean mentioned, there's those abandonment issues uh, with his older brother. Personally, I, I think it captures the 70s, the late 70s. It captures that thing between an older brother and a younger brother really well. It's got a lot of humor in it. And it's like, it's true humor. It's not like tacked on, you know, chintzy joke, comic relief. It's like the things brothers would say to each other. It just happens to be hilarious because of the situation, but it's like true. Like it rings true to me. So I liked all that about it. it it's, it's horror. It's science fiction. Uh, there's a little bit of action movie in it, which is interesting because Dawn of the Dead is the same year. And I always think of that as half horror, half action. I mean, there's a lot of action shots in, in Dawn of the Dead, but I digress. Um <laughs> but it's also a boy's adventure. And, you know, in, th in this day and age, we can't really say that anymore because, you know, we're at the point where we're realizing, oh, you know, boys and girls can have the same adventures, right? But back in the late seventies, a boy's adventure was, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, ride a motorcycle and, and team up with my brother and his friend and get some shotguns and guns out and take on a, an evil, you know, demon mortician, you know, that's a boy's adventure story, you know, and it just, it just hit on all those levels. So for me, it was like a, a transformative 
I, it sounds very weird, but this movie was a transformative experience for me because it helped me get through fears of things, including modern day horror movies, and just helped me to kind of understand, you know, how things work in some ways. And Paul, I just want to, I just want to add, um, I know you're currently reading my book, but a lot, my novel, my current novel, Chapel Street. Hey, look, there's a, there's a poster. Ding, book. ding, ding. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, you may see that there is a lot of phantasm in that book in a sense that um, this is a, in Chapel Street, it's the story of a guy and his older brother, you know, a guy and talking to his dead older brother, which is essentially what's happening in Phantasm too, though you don't find out till the end. And, um, and you know, Chapel Street is very much about the um, abandonment, death, and the things of death. You know, it's a, it spends a lot of time in um, cemeteries and all. So, um, and I'd, like you, I was I was hit at the right time, as I mentioned earlier. This was soon after. Um, I mean, people died, you know, all throughout my life. But in 1979, my grandfather died, and that's the only the first funeral where like. I was involved in like all of the ass, not the planning or anything, but I was there for every step of it. You know, when you're really young, at least in our family, you don't go to them. You know, they lock you away, you know, so you don't go to the funeral at all. You're off doing other things. And um, but when my grandfather died in 79, this was the first time I went through the, de- the you know, the death experience. So this, this film really spoke to me on the... Um, on that level of death and things of death and the horror of death and the mystery of death and the uh, permanence of separation. So, okay. Uh, I, I, okay. I want to hear from, I want to hear from uh, uh, the other uh, Drew and John, anybody want to jump in and uh, just, just before I, I, I'd, I'd kind of like to hear Drew's point of view on this one before <laughs> I chime in. <laughs> well, all right. So I have seen this movie before. Uh, just once, like in college, I'm 44 years old. So that was quite a while ago. And it, I was terrified of horror movies growing up. So I didn't start watching these movies until I was in college. I went to the local video store on campus in Philly and they had uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Phantasm and and uh, The Thing and all these great movies, and most of which are, are among my favorite movies. This movie, I don't like it. I don't hate it. It's one of those where the story of the making of the movie is 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 a neat thing too because they made a movie for three hundred thousand dollars and it made I don't know thirty times that a hundred times that whatever it's it's been a huge success and I I always like that story you've got Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi you've got Kevin Smith's Clerks you know and that's it's not just the the youth like you said John about um, Orson Welles it's the outside build it yourself kind of thing so I have a lot of respect for that. And I really appreciate what Paul said about how it connected with you emotionally, that that was the boy's story, that that was because I felt like I was watching outside of whether I liked the movie or not. It felt like an authentic 1978 neighborhood. Here's a kid and his brother and there's been tragedy and all that kind of stuff. Now, that said, the only things that I remembered from the movie were the scene where um, the tall man picks up the casket uh, because that's quite striking. And then and I didn't my reaction to the other thing it wasn't that i made fun of the movie but when i found out that the uh, and spoiler alert that the jawa looking slaves were actually their dead friends squished by gravity in another dimension i started laughing because i was like that's ridiculously ambitious for this tiny little movie now we have space travel and all, all this other, and it's, it's ridiculous so I, I commend that and i also i have a soft spot for um 
for Reggie the Ice Cream Man. I think he's the sort of the most indie film actor feeling guy in the movie. He also reminds me of Jackie Martling and uh, Dean Norris. But overall, it's it's not it's not a good movie that I like. It's not a movie that I would that I would recommend. It's one of those movies where I go, it's not for me. I get the appeal of it, but um, you know, like I, I don't find it scary. I don't find it super uh, interesting. I, I I believe I've seen Phantasm and Phantasm Two and not gone on to see the other ones. But that said, Bubba Hotep by the same director is one of my favorite movies. Right. That's a hysterical movie. So <clears throat> I, I guess somewhere in there is where it all began, that this guy's sensibility came from. Because Baba Hotep is a movie that takes different stuff that really doesn't make sense and shouldn't fit together and just comes off in a wonderful way. So Phantasm, uh, I, I don't like it, but I respect it. John? Well, one thing about, oh. you know, talking about the story of the story is that, you know, the kid, Michael, who I was, played Michael, was 13 when they started making it and they shot it over a course of a over the course of a year and he was growing up because mm. if you look at the picture right behind Paul's head <laughs> of them in that room he looks distinctly older and there than he does in some of the shots that you see earlier in the film that's true and yeah. in fact in fact to bring it back because we've name dropped Star Wars a couple of times that was a coincidence with the Jawa thing and and somebody called uh, called Cascarelli up one day. One of his friends after going to the movies said, "I just saw a coming attraction for a movie. It's got your little characters in it." <laughs> so it was just a coincidence, you know. And then later on, this this remaster that we saw the trailer from, you know, it's it's J.J. Abrams, you know, giving the <laughs> the backing, the money, and and the the resources and the equipment to do the remaster. And of course, he directed some Star Wars. So there's this weird tie back that keeps happening with star wars but yeah oh i do yeah. want to say one thing about reggie to me one of the most things that always caught me and one other thing that makes this different because you know you see all the like the friday 13th and all those films from the same period but no none of those films had that scene where um reggie walks up with the guitar and plays the guitar with jody <laughs> i mean to me that is just a genuinely endearing film scene and like Reggie could really play. And it really looked like two guys who really knew each other, you know, who yeah. had a relationship. Uh, and, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you, okay. But that whole Reggie go ahead, go ahead, he had a relationship. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. To you know, he, right. he drives up in his truck. He, he's, he's playing his guitar and Reggie comes out and he, he plays without tuning his guitar. And uh, I was thinking, that's really odd. Nobody shows up in a, Ice cream truck and and pulls out the guitar without tuning it. You know it's gonna sound terrible. This and then later in the scene where they're on the ship, he's the tuning fork. Well, they did they show that whole yeah. That's that's the uh, yeah, what do you call it? Out a little bit. Chekhov's gun. He tuned his guitar after to show his two yeah. fingers doing a doop. Yeah. Well, they, all right, John. Wait, no, stop, stop, John, <laughs> John, please. Well, I have to say. Uh, I thought I had seen this movie, but after watching it, I realized I, I haven't because I definitely would have remembered this movie had I seen it. Um, I think what I read about this, they wanted to make something wicked this way comes originally. Right. That's what they want. Him and Reggie, I think it was. Uh, and they couldn't get the rights to it because Disney bought the rights. So he had this dream where the arms came, he was lying in bed and the arms grabbed him. That's kind of what led to this. 
So there's a three hour version out there that I think I would like to see because this movie made zero sense to me from start to finish. <laughs> it meant I, nothing made sense at all in this entire The acting was horrible. The line readings were horrible. The special effects, I know it was a low budget, but when he opened up that box and that little stuffed animal bug with the big teeth was sitting there and then they pantomime it, taking them all over the place. I'm like, what the hell is this That'd movie about? That's a dream. Oh my God, you it's all a dream. I my ass off. It's a so dream. What the hell is that? And the finger in the box, you know, doing this thing. But then the girl, the lavender girl, right? They're about to have sex. All of a sudden they do this one insert with this girl with gigantic boobs that her body didn't look anything like the girl in lavender. And it was You're just insert. And then she didn't want to do the Spoiler. she didn't want to do the topless scene. That's why that that's a feature, not a bug. And then, well, that's a and feature. the the the, the, the uh, when they go to the spaceship, I don't know what the hell that was, but the dimensional port between the things, he goes in and he's grabbing him by the belt. I'm, this movie made no sense to me. The little kid was a psycho stalker. That's what he was doing the whole movie. Then at the end, you find out he dreamt the whole thing, or did he? Now, I will say this. Well, okay, let me back up. The ball. Big deal about the ball, the orb, right? When you think about this movie, you think about the tall man, you think about the orb. So I'm thinking, oh, man, this orb is going to be all over the place in this movie. It's, it's in it for about 22 seconds. And the second time it shows up, they just blow it away. So I'm like, that's it? Now, and it only, kills, it only kills the guys working with the tall man. And that was good. When the blood squirting out, I thought that was good. When they showed the drill through the head. Right. Uh, but I will say that the character of the tall man is pretty iconic. And I think it's a good bad guy. But I got to be honest with you. This was a movie that I paused three times because I was bored stiff. I was There was maybe a couple of scary moments, you know, where they jumped at you. But it was not a scary movie. And... Um, I just, uh, when it was yeah. over, it was like Chinese food. You know, I knew it was going to be, I, I was going to forget about it pretty quickly. I just didn't think it was a very good movie. I would like to see the longer version because I think it's got to make more sense than this movie did. It was jumping all over the place yeah. and it just made no sense to me. So, But, but you know, the, the tagline, the tagline on the original movie poster was, if this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. What well, does that say about well, you? I might have to check your pulse. <laughs> I will tell you, your defense of it was far better than the movie itself. <laughs> the, the only time I jumped is that scene. It's in the preview where he slaps a guy on the shoulder and says, the funeral starts now. Right. That's right. the only time I jumped. Al, you know, well, that jump was, in that here. That was real, too. That what was, was real? real. That, that scene was real in terms of the way they, they shot it. He actually did scare oh, the, <laughs> the younger oh. guy. He I did like the music real too. because he the, came in from very, behind. The music was reminiscent of Halloween. That kind of, I yeah. did like that. I, that's the one place I jumped in the whole film. Yeah. Al, come By on. The way, jump I in. did want to say oh. I learned to play it on the guitar, the music. Oh, oh. oh, really? Did you tune the guitar first? No, no, don't tune it. It'll let in the aliens. Don't tune it. Hey, Groucho didn't tune his guitar and horse feathers. Okay, Al, let's go. Wait. Wide open. Okay. I like Phantasm. I don't know what John's talking about. He clearly can't watch indie films or even like understand them. <laughs> Thank you, Al. I can't watch bad films, Al. You can't. You can only stick to high budget Hollywood stuff, apparently. Oh, please. Um, I, you know, I probably saw Phantasm one a long time ago. Uh, I don't really remember it that well, other than the tall man and the the flying ball, obviously. 
But uh, I rewatched the entire series a couple years ago. And uh, I get what Sean and Paul are saying. And I think Phantasm 1, you, for me, I, I, I got it more when I watched it a second time. So I think if I keep watching the movie, I will get into it more and it will appreciate it more. I you know I don't think John would be willing to spend the time with it to uh, really get into it, but he just said he'd give it another three hours. What are you talking about? I don't <laughs> think he would. He would, he would pause, he would pause it like thirty minutes in into one. it. Um, but I think it turned. You know, the theme is iconic. The tall man is iconic. The ball is iconic. I love as the series progresses that you can tell that it's shot in different time periods. You have a like a 70s film, you have an 80s film, you have a 90s film. Uh, I guess maybe the fourth one was late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I, I yeah. love how that works. My ranking would be uh, two, one, four, three, and five. And I know if John watched five, he would absolutely hate it because it's more of the the surrealist like is Reggie coherent or incoherent? You mean like the movie? Yeah. Because... That's one of, that's one of the things since you bring up four and five um, for, for, for John, a lot of the three hours uh, that you're looking for, some of that shows up in, in the fourth one because he had no budget on the fourth one. So he, what, was he able used to, footage, to, the unused he, footage. He used unused footage. He <laughs> built it. And that the I'd like to one. see. He built it I'd into like the fourth one. And, and the fifth one, the fifth one is part of one of my problems with the sequels is because they go away from it being the kid, Mike's story, into Reggie's story. And it, it kind of... Yeah, Reggie ended up becoming the, the lead kind of, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, and well, I mean, he was you know, the... Look, he's like Ash. He's like Ash. Yes. Right. I, you know what? I got a total Ash vibe from Reggie. And, and as a matter of fact, the series that, that, that Bruce Campbell was doing now, Ash where he's following right that's that's i felt like that was reggie's character was a precursor to that because reggie was the thread throughout all the films which i didn't expect i thought he was a throw the ice cream guy was a throwaway character he became the main guy yeah he's kind of a precursor to how ash shows up it's kind of a precursor to the nightmare on elm street series i haven't seen supernatural but i've heard there's some echoes in the supernatural Hmm. tv show i mean he has the best car ever made the bear that, that's how you know it's a 70s movie because they had great cars well and also 13 year old kid was driving that car right. he actually I, learned, that. I was listening to the now normally i tell you when i watch a film or even recommend one to, for the podcast i do not listen to the commentary tracks because i don't want to know why they did what they did right. i just want to accept the film as the experience and all but I will say I did listen. I did research this one, and I did listen to the commentary track and all, mainly because I was trying to figure out why the hell he ch- made, made certain choices. But he didn't always say. He talked more about the shots and all, rather than he talked more about the hows than the whys. But you know, he did say that um, Michael did learn how to drive driving that Barracuda, and nice. I couldn't think of a better way. <laughs> well, I love that he gets out of the car and he pulls the wrench out of his back pocket and he. He's getting in there, and the headers, yeah, he's, and then, you know, and the brothers just Jody is that his name? Jody, yeah, Jody. with the leather jacket. And oh, a, yeah. <laughs> oh my oh, god, I, honestly, another, I another, think go ahead. No, another, another, you know, thought about seeing it at the age that I did 14, 15 years old. You know, 
how am I not going to love a movie where a kid's locking in his room and he figures out he can put a thumbtack? That was cool. That <laughs> was I was cool. just going to say you know, that that was a great. Blow the door off. You know? That was a good scene. <laughs> but again, it's a dream, right? So anything can it? happen. You know, that's that's the problem. Like it has right. one of those it has one of those movie endings that I really it doesn't matter what the movie is that I don't like. Like the Descent, the the American ending, where you think it's over and then boo. And then it, it kind of all means nothing. Or Nightmare on Elm Street 2 when everything is fine and then suddenly Freddy's arm comes out of the door and the bus is in the desert and all that. So then it's, it, like, it's in Nightmare on Elm Street 1 when her uh, her mother gets sucked through the door. It's the, it's, oh, is, that, that's, is that the that's, first one? Yeah. It's okay. the exact same ending. Oh, as, Friday the 13th uh, ends with – it's all that whole right. – and Carrie. Remember See, Carrie I mean, when the just, arm comes out of the – Yeah, or, or I mean, um, yeah, Carrie. Or, it, the thing is with those endings is that like they, they don't they don't satisfy me. Just in general, I just think that's kind of a like a boring boo ending. And horror movies can have amazing endings. Like if you keep watching The Descent for another minute in the original cut, you have a real ending and it means something. But right. this movie ended already that it was all a dream, which you're like, huh? And then it does the boo ending. And I was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I, I don't know if the people who made it know what happened, which makes me a little concerned that I like I don't really should I even bother to find out? Like, is there anything to find out? If I enjoyed it, that's nice. But it, 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 they may have pulled a lot of story together over the next four movies. But it, they definitely didn't have it together in the first and, one. And, and and the other thing Debbie, I want to know, know is... Debbie, we haven't heard from Debbie. Debbie, I want to know what you think. Well, <clears throat> Sean loves this movie. So uh, I hate that I hated this movie when he showed it to me, like, um, in our we were married, what, how long? I probably showed it to you before we were married, just to know if whether I was going to marry you. Oh. Uh, I could tell you it was torture for me at that time. And uh, I think I probably fell asleep. And then um, I watched it, but I, I really didn't get it. And then we watched it Saturday night. And it, I don't like to spend Saturday night at the at our house. I mean, I like to go out or something, do something. I mean, just to drive around. But um, this film, I hated it. And I couldn't understand what the heck does Sean see in this movie? What does Paul see in this movie? What is it? Why do I hate it so much? And when you hate something so much, you know, I mean, really despise it, like torture, like, can I, can I go to bed now? I know you have to watch it. You have to stay up, you know? So we watched it and, um, you know, I thought about it and then I was Sunday morning, I think. Yeah. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. And Oh, one of the clues was when Sean said, I said, what does that mean, phantasm? And he said, it's from Edgar Allan Poe. And it dawned on me, you know, through the night I was, you know, it's a dream. Everybody has had a dream about the tall man and the tall man turning into trees and you're running and you're pulling, you know, and I, I mean, it's a common dream. And also um, so many things in that film were familiar dreams about a funeral right? And we're all afraid of dying to some extent. I, I think you don't know what that next step is. You kind of know because if you have a, a belief, but you're not for sure. And at the time when you're going to die, you know, that's, that, that is pretty scary. Like um, it's weird, you know, cause you're alive. We go to cemeteries a lot. And uh, the cool thing about it, well, you got to face the reality you know, we're all going to end up there. Maybe not in a cemetery. Maybe we'll be cremated. I don't know. But 
that's a reality and um, you can't run away from it. It's good to face it. And to this movie show that all to you. This is that's this is the movie that explains that. And then when you realize the purpose of uh, films, you know, I like to like John, I like to be uplifted in a film, but sometimes uh, downlifted is just as um, impactful on our lives, you know, our secret lives where, you know, we don't really talk about that sort of thing, but we all experience it. I'm sure. Right. Everybody thinks about death. Yeah, of course. But I'm just wondering if this is, if this is nostalgia, like when this, the fact that uh, Abrams uh, restored this stuff and you always hear about uh, uh, Steven Spielberg or, or John Carpenter looking back at old horror films and that's what's fueled their whole, why they make this Sam, Sam Raimi obviously is a friend with this guy. And, and I think produced, I think the second one or was, I don't know, was that the set or something? Is this not retroactive nostalgia? The like, like you're looking at it now when you're adult brain, and you're throwing meaning on something that the guy never meant to. You really believe that he was trying to make a movie about. Well, that's uh, why abandonment. I mean, and yeah. just because he's saying, I don't want my, my, my brother to abandon me. He is showing mismatched boobs on a woman. I mean, what's the message there? And like the, the grandmother scene, we haven't talked about that scene where he goes to the. That's a dude ripoff. He, he must've read Dune. Before he, uh, oh yeah, that's what I, yeah, the hand in the box, yeah, and uh, here's yeah. the mind killer and all that stuff, yeah. Like, definitely so you're, you're putting a lot of meaning on something that I think the guy was just throwing shit together. Wow. And Isn't that what art is? I call it unconscious, unconscious brilliance. I only, yeah. I only really. No, I think Stanley Kubrick does conscious brilliance, right? Yeah. He plans everything so you get that emotion. I think yes, this was an accident that you guys are turning into this brilliant you know well, metaphor why, of death and art, life and isn't art what you project onto it anyway like why does it matter if it's a happy accident i think that's a fair perspective i mean if you is it a good the question is is it a good movie well no but the question you asked did he intend all this stuff and my answer to that would be does it matter yeah yeah and i i think if if debbie got something out of the movie that's different than what you got out of the Agreed, movie you know, i agree that's with a that. legitimate thing objectively in many ways technically speaking it's not a good movie and some of the stuff that looks cool is a happy accident and you can but get away with any on some right. level and you can get away with yeah. anything if you ultimately say the whole thing's a dream we can do whatever right, well, we want in the film that's, that's guys are flipping over mentioned. guys are flipping over in automobiles right by the way they sh- I, you know i, I think the, David Lynch I think never the take creation the creation process for sure mm. is slipshod in this movie uh, nobody, I'm not, and I love the movie. I'm going to say it's flawed as hell, and that, and there's things that are totally messed up and don't make sense. Uh, but as somebody who's, you know, a creative for a living, I know sometimes meaning comes accidentally. You know, sometimes it is through accident. Uh, I, I do, I do stand by the, the theme of. The themes of death and abandonment, I think, are on purpose with him because they're because they're, they're throughout the whole movie. The dream stuff and a lot of the other stuff and the the box and don't fear and and fortune teller and all that. It's all just to put in. I think to put in kind of spooky elements to give you images to stick in your mind. But I do think there that he did 
to have that through line in his head about the, the death, the funeral home, the pageantry of the funeral and abandonment. I do think those things were purposeful. I, yeah, I can totally go with you that a lot of the other stuff is totally <laughs> accidental and maybe not even should be in there at all. But, you know. <laughs> well, I, I do think, and you know, if you look at, and I'm not asking you to go and watch mortuary and um, mausoleum and all, but you know, those films are just, are just existing horror films just to try to scare you. And, you know, like when the horror films that like Al was brought to the podcast in the earlier days, when he was Harbinger of Death Al, you know, or Harbinger of Doom Al, like um, Hellraiser and like particularly Martyrs, which was like a film I'll never watch again. But I think those films were really about something, you know, as opposed to like Friday the 13th. You know, I like the first film. I think I like three as well and like seven. I don't know which other one. But they're really not about anything. And I don't think Texas Chainsaw Massacre well, is about anything. Well, I, I disagree with that, Sean. But I think what separates this is like, this doesn't feel like an exploitation film. There's like meaning to be had there. Whereas like maybe Mausoleum and the other movies you're, you, you're talking about, it was they were only made to like make a buck off a trend. Like they're just pure exploitation trash. Whereas it feels like this one, like Coscarelli actually thought about what he was doing. Maybe he wasn't successful in shooting everything or laying it out narratively, but there is meaning that you can project onto it and get something out of it other than just pure exploitation trash, which is just, you know, it can be fun. Yeah, I mean, I I love my pure exploitation trash, but this, I think, rises to a level that's higher. I and agree. I really... You know, I mean, I've, I I can't tell you how many times I've watched this film since I saw it in 80 or 81, but, you know, dozens of times. And I've really fought against, you know, the narrative structure of the film because I kind of like, I like it. I hate the ending. I don't think the ending works. It's a dream, but then it's not a dream. You know, it's like, it just didn't, didn't feel right. But now, you know, in, in a part because of what, like what Paul said earlier, the definition of what what the film's title sort of gives it away that we're not supposed to, that this is not a linear logical film. And I think the title indicates that that was, this was the filmmaker's intent was to give us something that was strange. And one of the things I was really watching, because I did watch it like three or four times, you know, every time Debbie started to watch it and stopped, I continued watching it. So, um, (laughs) but like, I wanted to make sure, like, the girl who goes in, was that the um, the daughter of the, of the, um, of the you know, the, the grandmother? Tell her. Who dies, who dies at the mausoleum, who screams. And then because all these, you know, because there's another blonde that looks just like her. Yeah, that's a problem. In later in the film, and I was like, is that the same actress? Is that the same, supposedly... You know, oh, he, he, he did that on purpose yeah, so he, that you would you would throw your thoughts about how people are all this. Come on, this is what I mean. He's making mistakes that you guys are like. But it wasn't you mistake. say none of them yeah, died. They the broke a window was, and ran out the window. The I think that was a throwaway line. Which is the same. Yeah. Uh, what's a, the guy who directed uh, Days of Heaven? What's his name? Terrence. Um, Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. Yeah. Like I found uh, Thin Red Line almost incomprehensible because. The two lead actors both spoke, had Southern accents, and they both looked identical. You know what I mean? So it was sort of like, and they were all flashbacks. 
And because they were speaking in the same accent, it was like, whose flashback is this? You well, know? listen, I got confused from the start because when I read the description, it said teenagers go up against uh, an evil force, a tall man, right? Teenagers. So I'm looking right. at Jody. Okay, maybe Jody's 18, 19. And then Reggie walks in. He's like 57 <laughs> years old, s- still driving an ice cream truck. And I'm going, what? Okay, he's not. A, is he the teenager? Who are the teenagers here? I obviously Mike is a teenager. He looks like it. He's a teenager, right? But Reggie but threw me drives. off, and then Reggie becomes the thread throughout all. The... <laughs> it's like, well, you know, the, the thing, the, the the truth of it is that the, beyond, um, you know, the tall man, Mike, Jody, Reggie, and I guess you could say Tommy too. Uh, all the other characters that are in this movie they're just all over the place. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no real continuity to them. Myrtle, the housekeeper shows oh up God. for two God. seconds, One thing right. <laughs> you know, and that's it, you know? So yeah. Yeah. He, he, he did. Well, we knew it was Tommy because he did that characters. when he, when they see Tommy, Tommy was driving the car when he was squished. Right. Yeah. And the only reason it was Tommy because they cut to Tommy like you know, flash. But that was oh, that's Tom. That's him. But you know, he does those flashbacks all the time throughout the entire movie. I mean, when you think about like looking at the coffin flashback when he's talking to the fortune teller, he's flashing back to something that was literally in the previous scene, right? You know, because he went from this, that cemetery scene to him talking to the fortune teller, so he's flashing back to the yeah. previous scene. And, and then is that that scene where? What's her name? The blonde, the blonde woman. What's her Lavender name? Lavender lady. Lavender hiding behind the tree. <laughs> the little twig of a tree. When right. Tommy, uh, no, Jody's walk. Come on, come on. That's all on purpose, or was that? Well, here's the he, thing. Now, this is what, I'm, what I like about him as a filmmaker. So, okay, go to the flashback scene. So instead of cutting, you know, he's like does the what the f thing, which they don't show the dialogue for. When he's when like he's Galaxy talking Quest. to the fortune teller. And then instead of cutting back from him putting the binoculars down, they go to a shot of him riding the motorcycle, which is like totally inappropriate for the purpose of the film because he's really telling what scared him at the cemetery. And then they're going to a cutaway before they cut back, which on one hand would seem like a mistake, but I really found it really brilliant. And just the, him riding that motorcycle Ugh. and the sound effect of it. Yeah. Is and I like when the I like when the six foot stunt guy was on the motorcycle at one point with what, the short someone? hair. That was awesome. No, I I I will what say was the this. Director saying? I will say this. I he was fascinated. I was fascinated because I watched the two sequels right after. Okay? Because there was something aesthetically pleasing about the movies. I do like the way he shot the cars. Reggie, that character, I started just like enjoying Reggie as a character. Reggie's the man. So I have what to, I have man? to give him that. Angus but, Grimm is incredible. But if I just take this movie yeah. by itself and remembering that I saw it in 1979, it had to have horrified me then for some reason. But you look at it now, and it's like there's no gore in the movie. There's yeah, no um, gore in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, there is. I haven't seen that one. Well, maybe you uh, need to see it. I, I'm going to now. If there's no gore, I'm in. <laughs> but so I, I, you know, I I did appreciate the aesthetics of the shots, the shots, like especially when I looked at the orb, and he's reflecting the people that are looking at the orb, including the guys who 
the one guy who gets it on the face and you can still see the reflection of the guy in the orb. I thought that was, that's, that's good filmmaking. Yeah. And yeah, no, I think it, that's what I meant before when I, you know, I'm just impressed by how they can get so much done. They're so ambitious with no money. I mean, there's well, a he rented. Did you read the IMDb? Yeah, he rented the, he rented the equipment right. on a Friday, so he had it through the weekend. Right. I mean, right. that's that's brilliant. Werner Herzog shot a, a Guerra Wrath of God with cameras he stole from film school. So <laughs> and, and like disappeared to South America and then came back with a movie and returned it. So and I mean, I, I, with, a, I just, uh, with a maniac. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Well, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. That I would that's be a whole other story. Oh, my God. Plus. But um, did you guys ever see Room 237? Yes, that is. So that's a documentary, John, about people who watch The Shining and see all kinds Obsessed. of yeah, yeah. I know what it's about. Like this movie proves that the Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. All that kind. You can do that with a lot of movies. I mean, you yeah. can do that with Phantasm, but we all kind of do that in this conversation with Debbie saying and what Paul's saying. You're looking into that movie and you're finding things, and they're not exactly. they're not wrong. Like Stanley Kubrick did not fake the movie landing. I feel very comfortable on a podcast in a public forum stating that and standing by it. But I can't tell you that what Paul said about how he related to it as a boy's story is right or wrong, because that's really what, what well, it doesn't feel. matter. I understand that. It doesn't matter. That's yeah, what, what he got I, out of it. What I didn't get past is like, it, it never, it never connected with me emotionally. Like the, the worst thing, this is what, also what Debbie was talking about. The, the worst thing a movie can be for me, the worst thing it can be is boring. I mean, I really had strong feelings about young Frankenstein. I wasn't, I wasn't bored. Like, this is not a well-made movie. This is trash. I just uh, didn't connect with me at all. And it, it upset me. And I, I, I even wondered, did I feel a little left out? And actually I didn't, but it was just, it was just, um, it's just, it, this is a little movie that, that did big things. And I, I kind of, that's the reason that I feel any warmth towards it at all, I guess. Well, I was just going to say that um, when you, when you decide, when you're watching the movie and you realize that it is just a dream and that, all bets are off. Like Reggie gets the, the car crashes. They get in that they should be wiped out. Or if somebody attacks, everybody gets attacked in this film, like a zombie film. And you know, they're going to be fine for whatever right. reason, whether it's a dream psychologically, you're like, uh, there's no stakes in the film. You know, the guy is the, you know that there's no stakes until the end. Other than the fact that people you thought are dead constantly are showing back up again. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm mixing all my the sequels and all that, but yes, because that confused me at the end when they're sitting by the fireplace, and Reggie says, "Yeah, your brother died in a car accident." Well, that's supposed to be jarring. I think that yeah, that's well, it was. It's, it's like what jarring. now you're going? Oh, right. this is all the whole thing's been a dream. What the hell did I invest all this time for? For that, it's like Dallas at the end when they you know he comes well, out of the shower. It's yeah. like what did I do? Why did I? But but see, well, not, that, not, uh, but then but then that that kind of uh, if you want to call it the cheap scare at the end is to puts double right. down on it is to is to then make you second guess yourself. Yeah, but the, so it actually has a perp that actually has a purpose this time. It's not just the well if if so out of the, let's just the say <laughs> this was the only movie. There were no sequels. Right. Is that a satisfying ending for this film? For me, it is. Yeah, I wish I actually, though, though I get things out of the sequels and I enjoy revisiting the characters, I would be perfectly fine if this was a one and done and they never made the sequels. Because I think it kind of has a unique 
feel to it that they never recaptured in any of the, the sequels. And that, well, I, that's true. That sequel, particularly the, the next one, Phantasm Two, is in a linear, more structured way, a better movie. <clears throat> but part to me, part of the problem is is that it commits to an interpretation of film, the first film that I don't know whether I think is the most satisfying. Well, two ends the same way one ends. It ends with somebody gets pulled out a window and he comes back in three. And you realize it's just, this whole thing is just but, I mean, set up for a dream. Is a series is a series of events that are coherent. The well, actors, yeah, they go on, they go on a, they, he go, Reggie goes into full ash mode in number two. Full ash mode. And the kid, uh, Michael comes out of the, the whatever, the same asylum, wherever he is. And they, they hook him up with a woman who's got the same. They kill her. She's okay. Well, I, I love that that Reggie can never get laid. That is one of my favorite through lines. Well, he, no he gets laid in his dreams, though. He, he finds like himself with beautiful women, and it just never works out. And I love it. That's well, really he's 87 year old driving an ice cream truck. Jesus. But that's, I, mean, I mean, that's why people learn the guitar. And it never works. Four, one, one. He can two alien gateways, but the guitar never gets in the ladies. It's it's a, actually a, a tragic arc, really. Let's if we're going to be honest. Now you're right. Now psychologically, I know what's going on. All right. So what are our ratings on this one? Guitar scene. Hey. I certainly do them after it. Oh my god. Uh, oh. So Paul, we rate these as yippee ki yay or yippee ki nay. Okay. Ah. I think I think we kind of I don't know. I'm. Let's start with Drew. I'm going to go yippee Kai nay but it's not a real strong nay. It's okay. just, I don't like it. Al. I got all five Is that one of those metal cases? I got all five films right here. Ooh. Oh, wow. What does it mean? You got some psychology well, going on I, there. I mean, I, I do own my own copy of Young Frankenstein, so that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Is that so you fit in? Is that why you did that? No, I got it because it was with all these other Mel Brooks that I love. Oh, it's like, in oh, that pack. I got that pack. Yeah, yeah. John, what do you got? Well, before I give you how I feel about this movie, oh. Oh. I want to remind our audience to subscribe, hit the notification button, and please share. We really want to expand our audience. I say that every week, and it doesn't seem to be working. In fact, the people on this podcast don't hit like. So I don't expect you to. But anyway. I, I do like how calmly you said that, though. I want, no to give a, a, I want to give a real strong yippee ki nay. I'm not on the fence on this, okay? This movie sucked. <laughs> it sucked people's brains out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. It's no redeeming quality. All right, Paul, what do you got, Paul? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh. Is this the film you've liked the least of all the podcasts? Uh, well, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think the flute is up there. Spitfire Grill was. Oh. <laughs> no, I like, I actually like, at, at least Spitfire Grill kept my interest till the end. This movie, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, this is the worst one. Okay. All right, Paul. Yeah, we know. Boy. Yeah. Boy. 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give mine now because I know what Sean I, well no Sean and Debbie because I think Debbie well, I wanna hear Well I gotta say it was a torture to watch it. So I would say, you know, at that point would be like this way, like uh no, it would be like that. Nay. Raise your hand oh. up. I can't see. What do you got? Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh. 
you know, when something gets me to think like the extent of this movie made me think about my own mortality and, you know, life in general, and just to pay attention to go to the cemetery and, and be there, you know, to feel the feelings of being alive. And then possibly one time I'm going to be dead. I would say, yay. You know what I mean? For that, not that I enjoyed the movie process, but the after effects really were, were helpful in my life. I think that's legitimate. I mean, your opinion of the Spitfire group, Really evolved between the first time you watched yeah. it and the second time True. you watched it. I think that's that, legit. That's yeah, legit. I will say, if you would have told me, because Debbie and I really did, that Debbie would be yippee kaye on this, you could, I would have been shocked. So thank you, baby. Give me a kiss. Oh, and oh I am. This is a film. I bet you I will watch at least two or three times before the end of the year. Oh, wow. every night, every night. He's I don't. Watching. Okay. All right. Here's my review. My review is Yippie Kai May. Yeah. Because I couldn't stand it as a film. Like it just made no sense to me. Things were popping in and out, and I get it. But artistically, what he was trying to do, I love the shots of the Hemi engine. I love the shots of the cars, the stunts they did. There's some technical stuff going on here that's pretty good. And the way they the way the sphere was used. Optically, they didn't. That wasn't CGI. That somehow they pulled that stuff off using a baseball pitcher to throw it down the hall. I mean, I got to respect that. Well, this but, is the same guy who directed the Beastmaster. So, oh, Mark Singer with Mark Singer and Lori. What's her name? What's her? Oh, what's the, Tanya I, Roberts. Oh, Tanya <laughs> Roberts. Woo, hey, uh, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing that in 4K in about uh, two weeks. So go what? ahead and pick up a Beastmaster. Copy. Isn't Rip Torn the villain in that movie too? <laughs> yes. Wow. All right, well, that was a, okay. Maybe, maybe I might, I'm going to, I have to watch number four because I've watched oh, it. Yeah, I definitely watched point. number four, yeah. Ralph. Okay. I'm going to, well, yeah. Shudder had, Shudder was one, two, one and three and four were free. Oh, I'm yeah. Shudder. You're paying for Shudder. I had to rent uh, number two. The other I don't know why. They, they do a lot yeah, with four with like, no, with nothing. I think they really <laughs> advanced the story. Let me, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Before oh, I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> more nothing than this one, Ed? Yes, but what's I, that, than this one had. I will say Wojo and Brad couldn't make it today, but they did tell, text us and give us their votes. They hated it. <laughs> That's a shock. That's not surprising. I'm, I, no, I'm blown away by that one. I thought they would get all the symbolism about life and death and teenagers and stuff, but no, I guess not. <laughs> next week, we'll see what happens. Uh, who's doing the film next week? We don't know. We, do we, um, isn't, it, isn't it Debbie's turn? Deborah. Oh, boy. Well, if it's my turn, but I don't know if it is. We're going to make it your turn. Okay. Uh, shoot. What, what did I say? Uh, you were saying Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, All right. Well, classic. Alive classic, one classic film. That is a classic. Uh, can we get that colorized? Or is it is that black and white? I don't think that's ever been colorized. <laughs> I don't think Thank so. God. That's a good choice. Yeah. I can't wait to watch Excellent that one. Choice. Give my opinion. In the house. Yeah, uh, Paul. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, Paul. thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed meeting all you guys. You guys are great. I loved hearing all your opinions. Every opinion is valid to me, uh, and I really enjoyed being part of this. Thank you so much. Your I, background I is you defending the perfect. movie. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to defend singing in the rain to my brother Ralph. Okay. <laughs> yes, and you defended it well. Ralph, can you believe? Singing that somebody didn't like singing, singing in the, the rain. rain. That we had to defend wow. it. 
yeah, that's that's me, now, and now I defend surreal. my defense. Yeah, yeah so thank you, uh, can everybody. You imagine and, that that same person really liked the counselor. Include the counselor well, is gonna the counselor is gonna be time. like this one. There's gonna be meanings thrown on the counselor. Twenty years, thirty years no, later, no, that's doing. Yes, it will. That's happen. enough. We're not going to do this anymore. The counselor is going to be. That movie is pure trash. <laughs> okay. I don't even I think the counselor is ever going to come out on 4K. It was good having you back, Al, for a whole yeah. episode. Yeah. Al, yeah. nice to have you back. I'll see you in the next one. For oh, the... yeah. You guys got your first episode tonight, right? In the Red Productions has another uh, podcast good we're putting luck. out. Good luck, you yeah, guys. It goes. Everybody stay safe. Remember, all of us, uh, all you viewers out there, definitely watch this twice because you got, just watch John the whole time. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I we'll do it ISO. ISO camp. We always watch these twice. Strangely. <laughs> well, I'd like somebody to watch them at least once. Get it? Watch it once all the way through. Not just the first nine minutes. All the way through. That's it's like Saturday Night Live. The best skits are the last ten minutes. Right. Most famous skits. So, all right, everybody stay safe. Paul, enjoy the lockdown in California. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys.